as Doug said, be preaching today on uh, the fourth installment on our series. We're doing a short series called Personal Reflections. Uh, nothing amazing by way of title, but the big picture is that the, the preaching team uh, would just be sharing with you uh, some one or two or, or just what, whatever it was that God encouraged us with in our lives over this um, season, over this year. We know that this has been a really tough year, 2020 for many people is the year we'd rather leave behind. Uh, maybe for you it's been a great year and you've just soared, but I know for many of us this has been a year of great struggle. And uh, I just want to bring something that I hope will encourage you. It certainly encouraged me and given me uh, fuel and trust in God over this time of great difficulty and challenge. But um, maybe this year has been a year of loss for you, uh, whatever that might look like. It might be uh, your work or just finances or maybe your health. Um, this year has taken a toll on the world. And we've, we've seen the stats coming out now of how anxiety and depression are on the rise even this year from what, uh, some of what we've gone through collectively. And uh, at the start of lockdown, we had a bit of a campaign as a church that we tried to uh, put a few resources together. We called it Looking Up in Lockdown. And the whole, pic- the whole idea of it was that we, we, we knew that this was a time of crisis. We knew that this was a time where the, the things that we build our lives on for security and control outside of God was, were washing away and it, we were getting exposed. And it's important in those times particularly uh, to root ourselves again on the faithfulness and love of Jesus. And so we, we put some resources together to help us genuinely look up in lockdown. And I trust that this has been a season of uh, flourishing for us, but I know that while for many of us this is still a season of struggle and, and trial, that God's love and care is still with us day by day. And we can count on that. And so I want us, if you have your Bible with you, can you open up to Psalm 23? Uh, this is a widely known and loved uh, passage in Scripture, probably the most famous passage in Scripture. It's been incredibly uh, encouraging to my heart, and I just want to draw out some of the things that God has said to us in His Word in this psalm. I'm going to be reading from the CSB version, from verse 1. It says, The Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He renews my life. He leads me along the right paths for his name's sake. Even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. Only, oh, my cup overflows. Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. It's just a beautiful passage. Uh, We could read that almost every day and not grow tired of it. It's just beautiful. And as I said, it's a widely known passage. Christians and uh, unbelievers alike know this. I think it was uh, Tupac or one of them that even sang about the valley of the shadow of death. It's a widely known psalm. But this is exclusively the testimony of the sheep who walk with the living God. Those who are in relationship with Jesus, 
for you and I who call Jesus our Lord and Savior and who have trusted Jesus to be that for us. And this is written by King David, and, and we don't quite know the circumstances of his life, of why he wrote this. We don't know if he was in a season of peaceful reflection and just meditating on the faithfulness and kindness of God to him, and his life was in a great place. He's just saying, thank you, Lord, for being my shepherd. Or if he was in a, a trial or in a season of adversity and struggle, and he's calling his heart to remember who God is. But what we do know is he's saying that this is very personal. The Lord is not a shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. And he spends the rest of the psalm unpacking what that looks like. The first two lines are the most important in the psalm because it kind of uh, puts the foundation on which the rest of what he says is built. He says, the Lord is my shepherd. I have what I need. I have what I need. Some other translations say, I lack nothing. And you, you might be in a season where you feel like you don't have what you need. It's important for us to remember that no matter whether we're in a season of abundance and flourishing or, or in a season of uh, struggle and loss, we know the one who knows what we need. And that is more important than anything else. The Lord is my shepherd. The Lord is your shepherd. It changes everything. It's just so amazing that in Scripture... The Lord reveals himself here as a shepherd to us. He calls himself many things in his word. He says he's Jehovah, Yahweh, Jehovah Jireh, so, so on. There's so many names God gives himself. But when he's revealing himself here as our shepherd, this is particularly important for us because uh, in that time and maybe today as well, being a shepherd was the lowest of the low um, jobs. Uh, in a family, the youngest son would always be the shepherd. Because you aren't important, you're not the firstborn, you're not the first son, you don't get all the first fruits and you're not the manager and the big boss, you're, you're the young kid, so you go deal with the sheep. You go deal with them. It's a continuous 24-7 job of caring for and loving these sheep, no matter the circumstances, day or night, rain or sunshine, all the time you're just with these sheep, caring for them, loving them, uh, just feeding them comforting them, and so on. And here, that is what God is saying. That is what He does for us. The Lord God Almighty of heaven and earth is that to you and me, His children. He is our shepherd. He is tending to us His sheep, and that should cause and induce, induce worship in our hearts. So David says, because God is our shepherd, I have what I need. We have what we need. We lack nothing. And I think... Um, one of the things, one of the reasons why this has encouraged me, because in times like these, we can, in our hearts, believe the anti-Psalm 23. We can believe the, I'm all alone, I've got no one to look after me and provide for me and protect me. And, and we can believe that deep in our hearts, but it's just not true, friends. If you're a child of God, the Lord is your shepherd, and you do have what you need, and He is caring for you. And I just trust that as we unpack the psalm together this morning, you would find your hearts resting and trusting again in the kind faithfulness and care of our Lord, our shepherd. So I'm going to just unpack um, five ways that, that God cares for us in the complexities of life, five, five ways God blesses us uh, in his care and shepherding love over us. The first thing, the first way God cares for us, is the blessing of rest. He says there in verse 1 and 2, the Lord is my shepherd, I have what I need. 
He lets me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. That, that imagery there of lying in green pastures and drinking from quiet waters is a picture of resting from the pressures of life. It's like a, a bit of a, a retreat for the soul. You're, you're, you're taking time to get away from the busyness and the demands of life to lie down in the green pastures, to drink from God's quiet waters. I think we're all feeling to some degree the anxiety and the stress and the pressures of this time. You might feel like your wheel spinning. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but uh, that might be some of what you have experienced. And I think that the pace of life that we live, uh, and some of that is, is a good thing. I'm, I'm going to come back to that again, but this isn't about reneging on our responsibilities, but it is about receiving the rest God has for us and living a grace-paced life and receiving um, his yeah, rest for our hearts. This is a healing for those of us feeling burdened by the pressures of life. There's a sickness we carry with us. And Psalm 127 verse 2 sort of explains this. This has been a helpful verse to me over the season. It says this, It is in vain that you rise up early and stay up late, eating the bread of anxious toil. For God gives to his beloved sleep. Doesn't that phrase, anxious toil, describe so much of the world we live in and the lives we live? Just that anxious toil, the demands, the stress, pressure, the toll it's taking on our sleep, the toll it's taking on our bodies, on our minds. God is saying very clearly here that there is an invitation to come to him and rest. It's really an invitation of our Lord to, to stop trying to be God and just to, to rest in the plans and purposes He has for us and in the person He is to us. It's an invitation to lie down the burden of trying to be God and resting in His sovereign love and shepherding over us. There's a beautiful scripture in Matthew eleven twenty eight to 30 uh, where Jesus is speaking into this. He says, come to me, all of you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am lowly and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I think we forfeit so much of the rest of God in our lives because we're living in the frenzy of the day today. And again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be um, responsible. I think if you know me, you'll know, uh, you know, Dave's 11th commandment is thou shalt not be unproductive. I, I love achieving goals and working hard and, and achieving something together, but so, so, many of the, so much of the time, we, we do that to such a degree that we actually miss out on the rest God has for our souls. And one thing I've become unbelievably convinced by this time, God has burnt this onto my heart, that Satan will use exhaustion just as much as he'll use sin to break down our relationship with God. 
And we'll find ourselves living in the, the frenzy and the hurry of life so much that we won't be in a space to receive and satisfy our hearts in the love of God. Exhaustion is one of his tools. And I just want to say this here, that in a year like this, in the lives that we live, rest is spiritual warfare. It's, it's a rebellion against the, the desire of Satan to break down our relationship and intimacy with Jesus. Because that is what rushing does. We, we're not in a space to be able to receive the intimacy we need with him. We're not in a space to receive the satisfaction for our souls that we need. Maybe you've experienced that this season. Corey Ten Boom says this, if the devil can't make us bad, he'll make us busy. And I'm not saying that busyness is an evil thing, but I'm saying watch out. Because busyness can actually keep us from experiencing the rest of God. What is the pace of heaven? What should the pace of our life be here? How can we live in the abundance of the life he's calling us to? When he says, come to me, all who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. What does that practically look like? Well, I'm going to trust the Holy Spirit to help you figure that out day by day. But this is the call of him. This is how he loves us. In, in a year like this, with the demands that have come, with the crisis, with, with the hustling that we've had to do, God wants to give us rest and care for our souls by helping us find rest in Jesus. Now the second thing, as he does that, from verse 3, is the blessing of restoration. See, verse 3 says, He renews my life. He leads me along the right path for his name's sake. So he wants us to rest. And so he's helping us now find the location of where that rest comes from. See, when it says, uh, uh, he renews my life, if you want to look at the um, literal translation from the Hebrew there, what it's really saying is he causes us to return to him. And so when he says, he leads me along the right path for his name's sake, those two things are together. He renews our life, he causes us to return back to him, that is the right path. I think if we look at Isaiah 55, this gives us the invitation and highlights the problem. Uh, Isaiah 55, verse 1 and 2. Again, an invitation. It says, Come, everyone who is thirsty, come to the water, and you without silver, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without silver and without cost. Then verse 2. Why do you spend silver on what is not food, and your wages on what does not satisfy. That describes so much of what we do. We, we spend our time and energy substituting the grace of God for what we think will satisfy us, which ultimately only makes us more wary, ultimately. It can be good things that we should love and cherish, but nothing is a substitute for the ultimate soul rest of God. These are not separate Ideas. He renews our life by helping us stay close to him because he is the source of abundant life. I think we've all felt, ex felt exhausted to some degree this year. And we know that when we're tired, we make stupid decisions. 
And one of the first things to go out the window is our spiritual intimacy with Jesus. We will experience, to some degree, a spiritual drift. And so what God is saying here is, come to me and receive rest. Walking with him produces restoration and renewal. Walking on our own paths and away from the intimacy of and rest in him produces weariness. God is so utterly committed to you and I that his heart is to protect us. He's committed to giving us what we need most, and that is himself. So he's calling us to walk on his right paths for his name's sake. That is himself. I think um, we've probably all used uh, our GPS recently in our car, uh, Waze or Google Maps or whatever it is, and uh, if you're anything like me, you'll input the destination and it'll tell you where to go. And at some point, you'll actually think you know a better route. And you'll go your way, and sure enough, there's a reason why it didn't lead you that way. And uh, you should have just listened to Mr. Waze. And in some way, that's sort of what God is saying here. He, he knows what's going to lead us to flourishing. He knows that walking with him is the best thing for us. And that anything apart from that, no matter how great a plan uh, we think that is, is ultimately going to catch up with us. And we will find ourselves weary. You know what's amazing in this psalm, again and again? It actually isn't talking about our responsibility to walk closely with Jesus. It's talking about God's commitment to keep us with him. It's talking about God's commitment and joy and his activity toward us, not primarily about our activity towards him. You see what it says there? It says, he renews my life. He leads me along the right path. Of course, there's, of course there's our role in that. But I want us to encourage our hearts this morning. If you feel like you've lost your way, God is the God who comes to seek and save the lost. He has come to ransom and redeem. He comes to pursue us day by day. Listen to what Martin Lloyd-Jones says. He says, what matters is God's love to us, not our love to God. Our love is weak and frail and fallible. It wanes and it waxes. It comes and it goes. Thank God my salvation does not depend on me, but on God's love to me, not upon my frail grasp of him, but upon his Grasp, strong grasp of me. J.R. Packer similarly says, Your faith will not fail while God sustains it. You are not strong enough to fall away while God is resolved to hold you. Isn't that encouraging? In a season like this where we think everything is falling apart, God is committed to help you stay in Him and walk with Him in grace, in His love. And as we're restored to him and brings us back from our wandering, we get the privilege of knowing his protection over us and resting in that. He says the third thing, the third blessing is the blessing of refuge. It says there in verse 4, that even when I go through the darkest valley, I fear no danger. For you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. 
Again, this might be a season of a dark valley for you in some way. You might uh, be in the valley of the shadow of death. Uh, it's a, it's, a, it's a, a term to describe when you're just in a dark space and you can't quite see your way. Uh, and there's sort of an, an, an experience of hardship and difficulty and, and an, an anticipation of struggle and, and pain. And whatever that might look for you, look like for you. It might be depression or anxiety. It could be financial or career frustration or struggle. It could be um, marital strain or other relational strain or family complexity. It could be the death of a loved one or just feeling confused as to what's happening in your life. It could be fear or just various other pressures, that life has a way of overwhelming us with complexities. None of us are excluded from the valleys of life. We will all experience the valleys of life. Just the loss and the disappointments and the frustration seem like at times they're just everywhere. And you can't quite grab hold of uh, any joy at times. What David is encouraging us here is that even when we go through the valleys, we don't need to fear any danger. Why? Because he is with us. That word fear is incredibly important here because that's what happens to us when we're in valleys. There's something at stake in our lives. There's something that we fear losing, whatever that might look like. There's a reason uh, that the valley feels so dark to us, why our hearts are being so consumed and gripped by fear. What David is encouraging us with here is, is to bring ourselves back to the place of resting in God's protection over us, over our families, over his people, and to find refuge in him. We can find refuge in him. He talks about uh, God's rod and staff comforting us. God is our shepherd. Those are inst- instruments of protection. The, the rod would any wolves that got in the way threatening his sheep uh, the staff would sort of nudge his sheep uh, from falling off a cliff or something like that and and just keep us safe that's the emphasis here is that we don't need to worry because God is in control he will never leave us nor forsake us he will protect us we don't have to fear because he is with us and I think that's something we doubt when we're in a valley We'll doubt God's uh, presence with us. We might doubt uh, that God knows or is aware of what's happening. We might feel as though he's let go of us or that he doesn't care or that he just isn't involved and that he just doesn't want to love us. David is saying, no, I will not fear because you are with me. God is with you. He's promised that. You, you might... Be aware of that illustration of the footprints in the sand and uh, the story of this guy who's walking along and he looks back at his life and he sees two footprints, but when he goes through the struggles, he sees only one footprint and he says, God, what's up with that? Why did you abandon me? And God says, no, it was at those times of difficulty that I carried you. You know what? I want to take that even a step further because if we can look back at our lives and ever see two footprints, we've missed the point. There's only ever been one set of footprints and God has, only, has carried us the whole way, especially in the valleys. 
especially in the valleys of life. And the gift of God to us in these seasons is to strengthen our heart by finding refuge and by resting in his protection over us. Psalm 46, 1, it says, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in times of trouble. Thank you, Lord. Trust him in the midst of the, the valleys. The fourth way that God loves on us is that he rejoices over us. Verse 5, you prepare a table before me. In the presence of my enemies, you anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Now, now the imagery has changed a bit. Um, God's sort of no, no longer our shepherd. Now he's, now he's become our host. And we're now, for the last uh, two verses of this psalm, uh, led to the idea of God's house and how he treats us as we enter in as his family. And the first thing is that he rejoices over us. It says he, he prepares a table before us. He welcomes us into his home. A, a meal, particularly in, at those times, was a sign of friendship and, and acceptance and like deep loyalty and like I'm with you. You're in my home. That's a significant thing. Uh, today as well, but especially then. It's, it's just expressing God's desire for relationship with us. Uh, and it says a couple of things there. It says that God anoints our head with oil. And a part of the customs then, when you ha invited a guest into your home, you'd wash their feet. That was just a sign of hygiene. And people would walk in sandals. They didn't quite have closed shoes. And so you'd w wash their feet, just like, you know, give them a foot scrub or a bath or whatever it is. Just love on them like that. But that was more about hygiene. This oil is more about hosting. That when you put oil on someone's head, it was a sign of how glad you were to see them, of how um, special you felt that they were in your house. I, I just want to take a moment here for us to just consider that. You know, the privilege of being a Christian is ours. But in this psalm, David is putting it the other way around. He, he's talking about the priv like almost the privilege God has that we would eat with him. Isn't this mind-bending? That God feels that way towards you as his child. That he's just so pumped you've come home and that he gets to have a meal with you. That he anoints your head and says, oh, I'm so honored and glad you're here with me, my child. That is the imagery. I think one of the ways we miss this is that we place our value on what we do for God. Obviously, it's important uh, living faithfully and wanting to be used for him and giving our lives to him. But I think one of the things some of us have struggled with this year is just that overwhelming sense of like lostness. Like, what am I doing with my life? Like, what's happening? What, you know, we just, we're like in a bit of a, a desert here. Like, there's no way for us. I think this has been a comfort in many ways in that God isn't annoyed by your failure. He isn't impressed with your success. <laughs> he doesn't need us. And you don't matter to him just for what you can bring to the table. It's not about what we bring to the table. It's about the privilege of eating with him at his table. 
That's what the feast is about. At the feast of the table that he invites us into, you're not planning and strategizing the next 10 things. You're just spending time with your host. You're just spending time with God, your father, and you, and he with you, his child. Your worth to God is your presence with him in relationship, not just your activity and gifting and skill. So David says, you know, my cup overflows. This is not a, a glass half full pessimistic. It's not optimism either. It's something completely different. It's about recognizing just how much of God's blessing and rejoicing is over your life. And that our heart would just realize that again, like God rejoices over you with singing. Nothing can take that away. And I want us to see again that this has got nothing to do with how life is going. He says that this is happening. The oil, the feast, the cup, this is happening in the presence of my enemies. Like, in other words, no matter what is going wrong in your life, no matter what is up against you, no matter what loss there is, no matter what hardships there is, no matter what trial there is, like no matter what the enemy might be, this is true. It doesn't stop just because difficulty comes. God can feast with you in the valley. That is our, our privilege to know and to experience. He's pursuing us in loving relationship and acting toward us in abundant affection as his kids. And so what's, what's the outcome of that? What's the conclusion? What does David get to as he's considered all of these things? He says that, the final blessing is that we just get to know like the residence in his house as his family. The residence in his house as his family. Verse 6 says, Only goodness and faithful love will pursue me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord as long as I live. You know, that's something we can have now. But if we're his child, that's something that continues forever. When it says, only goodness and faithful love will pursue me, that's like something God bestows upon you. This is how God treats his children. As our shepherd, God has been good and faithful to us, and he will continue to be that because he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. His goodness and faithful love will follow us. And will continue offering us rest. He will continue uh, helping us find refuge in Him. He will continue being the God He is, the faithful shepherd He is to us. We don't have to doubt His love for us. We don't have to doubt His faithfulness. We can just rest in it because this is how God treats His kids. And this is a blessing for us to enjoy. Psalm 27, verse 4 to 5, says, I have asked one thing from the Lord. This is what I desire, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, gazing on the beauty of the Lord and seeking him in his temple. For he will conceal me in his shelter in the day of adversity. And he will hide me under the cover of his tent, he will set me high on a rock. 
Friends, we might still go through valleys. But that eternal promise that God has provided for us what we needed more than anything, that is our salvation, making him part of his family, that we have a residence in heaven, that he has prepared a place for us that cannot be taken away because it didn't depend on us achieving it. It depended on Jesus and what he did for us. That is what we have to look forward to. Just as we close, I want to tell us an amazing story. Um, I think we all know uh, or have heard of Pearl Harbor uh, during the Second World War, the attack on the Americans by the Japanese. And um, uh, in Winston Churchill, uh, the Prime Minister of Britain, the, his diary entry for that day, the 7th of December, 1941, he, he records a long extract And I just think it's so helpful to help us get the point. I'm going to read it for us. It says this. I turned on my small wireless set shortly after the 9 o'clock news had started. There are a number of items about the fighting on the Russian front and the British front in Libya. At the end, there were a few sentences spoken uh, regarding an attack on American shipping in Hawaii. At this point, it was somewhat confused as to what had happened, and there were just a few sentences of report. I personally did not sustain any direct impression, but Avril, my colleague, said there was something about an attack on the Americans. And in spite of being tired and resting, we all sat up. By now the butler, Sawyers, what a great name, who had heard what had passed, came into our room. He said, it's quite true, we heard it outside. The Americans have been attacked. There was a silence. I got up from the table and walked through to the office, which was always at work. I asked for a call to the President of the United States. In two or three minutes, he answered, Mr. President, what is this about an attack? It is quite true, he replied. They have attacked us at Pearl Harbor. We're all in the same boat now. We went back to the hall and tried to adjust our thoughts to the supreme world event that had just occurred, which was so startling in nature as to make even those who were at the center gasp. Now, just some context. At this point, um, you know, the, the Britain uh, forces and the allies there were sort of on their own and they, they were on the back foot. And, and so this is his uh, reflection on, on, on the above. He says this, No American will think it wrong of me if I proclaim that to have the United States at our side was to me the greatest joy. We had won after all. Keep in mind, this is a long time before the war actually ended, and that's what he's saying. He says, yes, after Dunkirk, after the fall of France, after 17 months of lonely fighting and 19 months of my responsibility alone in dire distress, we had won the war. Long How long the war would last or in what fashion it would end, no man could tell, nor did I at the moment care. Many disasters, immeasurable cost and tribulation lay ahead, but there was no doubt about the end. All the rest was merely the proper application of overwhelming force. And this is how he ends the diary entry. I went to bed and I slept the sleep of the saved and the thankful. It's the cool story of what happens when the introduction of an overwhelming force joins your team. That's what happened for him. They were helpless and alone. 
And now all of a sudden he went from feeling helpless to feeling hopeful, no matter what valleys he faced. Why? It was the involvement of an overwhelming force. They now had power on their side. Friends, that is what Psalm 23 is saying to us. The God of the universe, the living Lord, has committed himself to us in shepherding love. So no matter what we face, no matter what valleys, no matter what trials, we can have full assurance that we will have what we need because he is who he says he is and he will do what he has promised to do. He is our faithful shepherd. Let's pray together and then we're going to worship and respond to Jesus. Lord, we're so thankful just for your eternal uh, commitment to us in your grace. That um, in the pressures and stresses and complexities of life, you have committed yourself to us as our shepherd. And it's just overwhelming grace that we feel in our hearts that you would be this to us. <clears throat> that you have offered us rest for our souls. That you endeavor and work and pursue us to bring us home and, and rest restore us to yourself, that you invite us in to find refuge in you as we rest and trust in your protection over us, that again we have joy in our hearts, that you rejoice over us as your kids, and that we just remember our eternal residence with you, that nothing can take away, that you are keeping in heaven for us, you say, Jesus. We pray Again this morning, God, that you would just encourage our hearts to trust you, that you are the faithful shepherd. Um, we're so thankful, Jesus. You say that you are uh, the good shepherd, and we trust in you again this morning, Jesus. Thank you for coming to save us. Thank you for how you treat us and, and work towards us in daily grace. And we, we choose to rest in you again this morning. Help us worship you now as again we give our lives to you and place ourselves in your care. You care for us unlike nothing, unlike anything else. And we choose this morning just to rest in you again. We pray that you would encourage us and meet with you now um, in song.